You're listening to the Post-Apocalyptic Media Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the 68th episode of the Post-Apocalyptic Media Podcast. I'm your host, Sean, Senior Editor at PostApocalyptic.com, and today... I have a very special guest joining me, the author of a few books about a very unique topic, which is baseball and the apocalypse. And that is Mr. Gary Morgenstein. How are you doing, Gary? I'm doing fine. Thank you, Sean. Nice to be on the show. Hi, everyone. Yeah, it's great to have you on here. We've uh, we've been talking a little bit back and forth, and uh, I I just find the whole idea amazing and, and, you know, intriguing because I've never seen a book about that that's so heavily into baseball and also so heavily into the apocalypse at the same time. So do you want to tell us a little bit about this series? Yes, um, it's a trilogy. Okay. The first two books are Mound Over Hell and A Fastball for Freedom, which have been called 1984 meets Shoeless Joe. Hmm. Um, they begin in 2098 after America and the West has lost World War III to the Islamic Empire. Hmm. And America is surrounded. Uh, we lost 17 million in the war. Uh, Manhattan was hit by a chemical attack. Washington and Los Angeles were nuked. Um, and we're now governed by an enigmatic entity called the family, who is led by the elderly grandma. And there's a system of government called the cousins. And then the society is governed on individual responsibility. It's governed on real relationships. For example, Social media is outlawed under the anti-narcissism rules. And the thinking of that is that, for example, on Facebook, you have a thousand friends. They're not really your friends. (laughs) Guess what? So in this society, you have individual responsibility. You're not going to be prone to influences. You're not going to have fake relationships. You're not going to live in silos. It's also post- um, politically correct so the, the the notion of gay straight I'll, I'll, I'll mess up by not checking a box so don't let me go any further but <laughs> you get the idea it yeah. doesn't matter um who you are or what you are just the kind of person you are to to paraphrase uh um dr king you know the content of your character so religion for example is banned um patriotism is banned and um things like um Opinion journalism are banned under the anti-parasite laws, along with entertainment, banks. And so this is, it's a new society trying a new, a new democracy has failed, capitalism has failed. And into this comes baseball. And baseball represents the old America. Baseball represents the America of the great world power, hmm. um, of democracy, of freedom. And baseball during World War Three. Uh, pushed to be to prosecute the war uh, more ferociously, and during the 2065 World Series at Yankee Stadium between the Yankees and the Cubs, in the seventh game, the Miners, which was a radical group supported by many baseball players, launched an attack to take out the government and seize power, and they failed. So baseball was punished. Um, all baseball, all memorabilia, was outlawed. It was akin to treason. The Hall of Fame was burnt down. Every ballpark was destroyed except Yankee Stadium, which became Amazon Stadium. Oh. 
And and as the novel opens, Puppy Needick is the baseball historian, hmm. which is not exactly a, you know, a, a thriving job because 2098 is the final baseball season yeah. between these two haphazard teams called the Bronx Hawks and the Bronx Falcons. And there's really no baseball players to speak of. The holograms run the bases for you know out of shape players. The umpires are all robots, and uh, Amazon Stadium has been left as a, as punishment as it was after the attack. So half the scoreboard is gone. There's skeletons in the um, in the aisles. Uh, it's you know parts holes in the stadium, uh, debris from missile attacks, and it looks like it's over for baseball and over for what what was represented by the link to an America, you know, a clean slate once and for all. Mm. And then Puppy on his um, 39th birthday drinks way too much bourbon with his best friends. And when he wakes up the next morning, there's this smelly old guy lying on his floor. Puppy said, well, yeah, this is really just really what I need now. <laughs> Losing my job and everything. And now I've got this. And the guy insists he's Mickey Mantle. Yes, you know, really, <laughs> really, <laughs> you know, you got please. And but he feels bad for him and he takes him in. And a few days later, a courtly southern gentleman shows up and he says, I'm Ty Cobb. Huh. And then from the, the future, from the 2050s and 60s comes one of baseball's greatest players ever, a woman, Mushi Lopez. And together they lead a renaissance of baseball. But baseball becomes a porn between those who want peace with the Islamic empire on both sides and those who want to finish the job once and for all either way and start World War IV. Wow. Wow. I like that. That's so, so I had a, a question when I was when I was listening to you talk and it made me think of this. You wrote this book, this original book, a book one in what, 2018? Was yes. it? Yes. Yeah. So I mean yes. what did you think when you saw what was happening last year with stadiums when they were filling them with cardboard cutouts and things like that? Were you like, this is, this is happening or, <laughs> or well, what? you know, it, I felt a little prophetic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you talk about dystopian. Um, I, I think what we all went through also with COVID. Yeah. Um, you know, living through dystopia, living through that sort of fear. And that, I mean, my book very much talks about that ultimately through, the three arcs, you, um, it's about faith. It's about not religious faith. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm not, I believe in God, but the book is not about that. Mm -hmm. But faith in ourselves and, and faith in each other. And I think when you write dystopian fiction, I think that the greatest mistake a writer could make is that you try to be predictive. You and you tr and you end up dating yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's very wrong. That's you're, you're walking, you're going right down the rabbit hole. If you're reading a book, everyone out there, you, they're all dystopian literature fans. You're reading a book. You expect me as the writer to create a new world. And nowhere in the world, nowhere in my world, do I reference contemporary politics, contemporary politicians. Um, only the vaguest references to certain baseball plays, because you really could not ignore the fact that Mike Trout's going to say, end up in the Hall of Fame. Mm. Okay. I mean, you know, that's, he's going to be remembered as a great player. Mm. Um, but you have to create your own rules. Yeah. And they have to be justified by the terms of that society. So, like I said, social media is banned 
not because of issues with Mark Zuckerberg or big tech, hmm. but because of the nature of that society. Um, the three most revered professions in, in this America are doctors, teachers, and cops. Hmm. And that's because if they any of them go bad, it's lights out. Yeah. And so the police, they're broken down into blue shirts, the, the patrolmen and, and brown hats, the detectives. Now, when you create your own rules, you are limited by your own rules. So when they're trying, when they were, there's a, a sub story where they're trying to hunt some people down. This is not, you know, the typical, um, you know, television cop where you just throw someone against the wall and you break the rules. You must ask permission for cooperation. Hmm. So you have to devise new pl new ways to sort out that story, which is what the reader wants. The, or else the reader will say, oh, come on, you took the easy way out. For example, one of my main characters um, gets pregnant. Hmm. So when that happened, I thought, okay, well, she'll get an abortion. And they thought, no, no, there would not be abortion because, not because of any re religious hmm. um, feeling because there's no religion. Yeah. <laughs> and this is a, it's because we, as I said, we lost 17 million, including 4 million children. So the sheer necessity of repopulating the country would say, no, you cannot mm. kill it, you know, uh, do away with the fetus. Yeah. So it, it made it a little more difficult for me. Okay, so what do I do? But that's my job. Yeah, I can see that. So you're you're making your own world. You're making and and like you said, you're not constrained by the. Well, I mean, you're affected by and influenced by, but not constrained really by by modern uh, you know things that are going on right now. I, I guess that completely makes sense. Um, and so so you have written this. Now I've I've looked at your your previous books you've written, and you you've written a lot of baseball centered books. Yes. So I mean, you're a you're a big fan. You'd say yes. So this yes, is I grew up, yeah. So this is something that you've probably planned uh, for a long time. Well, where did the apocalyptic part come in? Was, were you always a big fan of that as well? Oh yeah, I love science fiction. I, I'm a political junkie, and mm -hmm. this is very much political because I create worlds. Mm -hmm. Because I'm talking about the death of democracy. Uh, there's nothing preordained about America remaining free. I mean, where is that written? <clears throat> because we have laws. Well, they're only as good as if people fight to maintain them. Otherwise, it's gone. Yeah. I mean, you, because America can be called, I guess, not so much an empire, but a great world power. Should we start listing all the great world powers who died? Again, there's nothing pre, you know, history is micro, it's individuals doing it. It's not, we, you look back and you think, oh, these great trends and these great leaders. Wars are, are won by the men and now women in the in the foxholes fighting for each other mm -hmm. and i think so when you write a dystopian novel you always you must remember you could have themes and you could have ideas but ultimately it's about ordinary people caught up in extraordinary times mm -hmm. and just trying to get by saying I, I don't know i never wanted to be a hero i mean puppy nidic he's the baseball historian his best friend zelda jones who's you know She's a teacher. Uh, she's an artist. She's a walking train wreck. Uh, Pablo Diaz, her, uh, he's a, you know kind of a somber dentist. Uh, I have a, a great cast of characters, but it's about the people and the decisions they make and the bad decisions sometimes they make. And I think uh, also as a novelist, you must 
allow your characters to be flawed. And you also have to not plant a flag and say, well, this is a bad guy. This, mm. is, a, this is a good woman. This, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you, yeah. That's for you, Sean, and everyone out there to decide. I'm not thinking for you. I never, there's no right or wrong. You, If you read my novels, whatever you, it's only, unless you get a, a fact completely wrong, but otherwise it's how you interpret it. It's my blue is not your blue. And I think it's with dystopian literature, you, it's really asked of you to create something different and to, you know, create something where the, the, the reader goes, huh? Yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, I would say, and I, you probably agree with this, that the, the whole, one of the biggest draws of this type of uh, genre is the, the reluctant hero. And, yes. and, and, and we can see that in ourselves, you know, where we can see where we can say, oh, I, I don't know if I could do that. But then you read this book and you're like, well, wait, maybe I could do that. Maybe I could go out on this adventure if I was forced into this situation. Yes. Frodo Baggins. Yes, exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're all, I mean, the great hero. He just, well, all of you are fools. So <laughs> yeah. I guess I, <laughs> I have to take the ring to Mordor. And I think that's what happened. And I, but don't you think that readers identify with that and prefer that? Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I can only speak for myself, but yeah, definitely. When you, when, when I read something that I, you know, I'm getting out of my element, my everyday element into something that I would kind of out of my comfort zone. And that's exactly, you know, that's one of the main reasons why we read, I would yes. say. So, yeah. Yes. And, yeah. I mean, I have, you know, sometimes the superhero movies, I know they're flawed and but still they can fight for like, you know, a monster half an hour and be okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You know, they're still not quite people. Yeah. And I think sometimes we rely too much on that. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, well, what are some of your influences throughout the years in in, uh, in post-apocalyptic media? Well, I'm a big fan of Philip K. Dick. Okay. Because, yeah. you know, the, the sort of wackiness of, you know, a, a world and society which is just off kilter and the ordinary person caught up in it going, what? Hmm. This isn't right. I love Robert Heinlein, uh, Ray Bradbury. Yeah. Um, just for pure literature, Ernest Hemingway. Uh, I, I think also what's important in it, there's a lot of humor in this book. Hmm. So I think when you write something, you know, you were talking about World War Three and America surrounded and, you know, there's some really, and, and I'm, I'm pretty graphic, especially in the scenes that um, under the rule of the caliphate. I don't pull punches, nor do I pull punches in America because all the Muslims were deported. Mm. I mean, I just want to, I was, I'm very proud that for all the reviewers and readers, only one per- person has accused me of Islamophobia. Mm. You know, in, the, in these times, that's pretty remarkable yeah. because I try to show respect. I research very carefully and I try to show ultimately that we're all people. Yeah. And we somehow have to find a way that there's way more that unites us than divides us. And uh, I mean, I wish I could say that, well, this author of dystopian baseball influenced me, but I'm sure there have been other dystopian baseball novels, but not a lot. But, you know, also part of the reason is that most science fiction writers, uh, dystopian writers, don't think baseball is going to be around anyway. 
which mm. knows quite possible if it, if it keeps going on like this, uh, you know, shooting itself in the foot. Uh, yeah. So I don't think it's you know this when you think about the the futuristic um, sports, it's like rollerball, right? Mm. That sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's important, too. There's a, a show that just came out on HBO last year. I don't know if you saw it. It was called Station Eleven. Yes, yeah. Yeah, and I think that, that it, it's kind of in that same that same way where they're holding on to theater. You know, they're, they're holding on to theater. They're yeah. doing a, a, a touring theater troupe, and they're saying this this is their life. We're, we're trying to bring this back and, and holding on to this as kind of a last bastion for... Uh, you know, making it through all the the yes. crappiness, you know. So I think that that's it. it kind of sounds like your book is along those same lines. Yes, absolutely. Yes, it's what we hold on to. Yeah. It, you know, in wars, um, at the end of the day, people, you know, look to look at each other and say, "I'm hungry. What's for dinner?" Mm. In World War Two in London, during the um, German um, Blitz, um, the, when the Luftwaffe was bombing London every night. At first, the government canceled theater. Now, like the British, you know, have a certain fondness for mm. theater, right? And people were, were really upset. So the government reinstated it. And apparently, um, if there would be a performance during a, uh, an air raid drill, they would make an announcement from the stage or they um, signal with lights. And generally, almost all the audience stayed. Carry on. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's... It, the 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 birth rate went up in London during the you know the the attack of the Luftwaffe. So you can't underestimate the strength of the human spirit, and I think dystopian literature celebrates that. Whether it's going to be baseball for whatever the reasons, or it's going to be theater, or it's going to be any number of ways that people hold on to some people want to survive. That's how we made it. Yeah. Yeah, great points. Um, what about no? We, you said you you saw Station Eleven. Are there any other current uh, shows or books or movies or anything that you're really into? I loved um, the Man in the High Castle. Oh, okay, yeah. The alternate history. Yes, yeah. I love the history again because I'm I'm a huge history buff, mm -hmm. and uh, it, it is just you know the with the roll of the dice, so much could be different. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I mean, we could go on and on. I'm not going to, you know, start pontificating, but so many instances in history, you know, it's a whim. It's a chance. It's it's uh, a fluke. Something happens that should not have happened. Uh, you know, famously, why did Adolf Hitler stop the Panzers before Dunkirk? Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, he could have wiped out the British Expeditionary Force and the rest of the French army. And he stopped them. There were various reasons, but had he not, it he did not have a lot of opposition. Yeah, you, you know, it's just on and on. You could, you know, an assassin's bullet. It's go. I mean, and so when you do literature, you have to create those worlds, but you also have to do it credibly. Yeah, and and you can't take easy ways out. And I think it's good to explain to the reader dramatically without you know boring anyone. Or, you know, with endless details why something is the way it is and, and let them figure it out my my novel i just dump you into it i mean i explain everything as we go along but there we are bam bam baseball's you know opening day baseball's last season mm -hmm. and, I, and i kind of prefer instead of force feeding i i think you must 
respect your audience and respect their intelligence. Yeah. And you know, the, the willingness to, um, to try to understand. I think, I forgot who said it. It might've been Kurt Vonnegut or something, someone like that said, start your story as close to the end as possible. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, th- I think that's always an interesting, uh, interesting saying. Um, He's, he was wonderful, Kurt Vonnegut. Oh yeah, yeah. Definitely. Just just brilliant. You know, you just, you just, you want to, you want to start and to grab your, your reader right away. Yeah. yeah. And, but remember, you know, with dystopian literature, it's, we're so force-fed now on movies with CGI um, that we have to remember that you know in literature there is no CGI. Yeah. The only CGI is in the reader's head. Yeah. And the and the writer's head, and you have to interconnect and and, and draw from that. And and it's you know I find I get a great joy out of coming up with laws. <laughs> now there's not endless you know I'm talking about a paragraph. Yeah. Or a reference uh, in in book two and three, there's more um, interweaving a little bit more with robots. Robots in my world in in 2040, robots with faces, FBs, were banned because they were blending too much into society. Hmm. So they slowly come back as you know inorganic life forms, but do they deserve equal rights? Hmm. So this you know you start playing with this notion: well, what is life? Not without being too heavy, but you see what I'm saying. Yeah. And if you can transfer consciousness, doesn't mean it's less so in, in a, you know, in a non-organic body. You know, you should just you play with stuff like that. And as a writer, sometimes I'm like, "Whoa, that's kind of interesting. I didn't think, you know, that's a a, a cool idea." And and then you have a society like American, you know, hitting the 22nd century, which begins relying too much on robots. It's, you know, they're afraid they're getting fat and heavy. And so everything that went through with the corruption of what became, you know, the overt corruption of, of democracy and elitism um, is, re, you know, reoccurring. I think, I think Mark Twain, I believe it was, who said, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. Hmm. And I think, you know, so much resonates again and again. But you have to be, again, as I said before, if you're writing dystopian fiction, uh, there's no Donald Trump mentioned. Mm-hmm. There's no Joe Biden or, you know, on and on, um, because I have to create my own work. But seeing how my world in 2098 happened, you can trace back, for example, and see certain things that happened today mm. and how that might have influenced it. But I don't overtly, you know, come right out and say, for example, there's no patriotism. You know, we could see that. Yeah. No one, you know, in 2098, no one sings the national anthem or God bless America because Mm. it was, they feel it was warmongering, which got us to this part. Mm. And that's quite a a step from where we were in uh, 2001. You know, after 9-11, it was pretty much, we had an influx of, of patriotism and then, and, and who would have ever thought 20 years later, you know, we're, we're where we are now. And then so like you're saying in 2098, it gets even worse. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And our, our soldiers are not um, equipped to fight. In fact, in book two, in a fastball for freedom, we see POWs 
American POWs abandoned mm-hmm. in the caliphate, just abandoned, hmm. because because there's almost a shame that they lost, which, without saying it, happened in during the Vietnam War. Hmm. Yeah, it was like, oh, you, we we actually lost a war. What? Don't remind us. Yeah, you, you, you can. See, I guess if you thought up all the storylines in the Bible. Um, the ancient Greeks and of course Shakespeare they're pretty much all taken (laughs) (laughs) right we're we're just vamping now we're just putting things together yeah baseball dystopia is you know kind of unique but it's still at the end of the day about people's relationships Mm, and their friendships and their uncommon bravery and their need to be free yeah it's about the characters now yes it does up the character and you know, it, I know it sounds terribly precious as, as you've had writers on your show and people out there. I've heard, well, you know, the characters take over. And I don't really know how to clinically explain that. I mean, writing is sort of a mental illness. Um, I mean, really, you know, I have more than 20 characters running around in my head talking to me and each other. Now, mm-hmm. if I wasn't a writer, how many meds could I could I get for a prescription if I talked to them, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, you know, come on, that's it's like, uh-huh, right, okay, put your arms there for the straitjacket. Yeah. Uh, but when you write a scene, it's the most extraordinary feeling in the world, and you set out, or, you know, you have you have something in your head, okay, this is what the scene's about, because you need to have some idea what the scene's about before you go in, mm-hmm. and then suddenly it's not what you anticipated. Or you write, a, you write a scene, and the character's like, you're a schmuck, do you really think I do that? So, well, no, fine, sorry, sorry, because <laughs> you've got to listen to them because they do possess you. And I know they're my characters, but then again, I often felt that there's like a portal. There's something odd opening somewhere, and mm. it just feeds into your head somewhere. And then no one's ever really explained the creative process to my satisfaction. There's been things written about writing and so many of them are rubbish um, other than the fact that you have to write every day. Yeah. Just, and be prepared to, it's hard work. It's really hard because if you're writing novels, you're writing against yourself. There's no one to blame. I write plays so I can always say, oh, well, the director really messed up or that actor dropped the line. The novel's good or bad, that's my name on it. Yeah. And every day you look at the blank page, and you go, oh no. What if it's ending today? What if that's it? It all dried up. Uh, Philip Roth said something uh, really useful for all writers out there. He said, don't write yourself into exhaustion. Hmm. Save a paragraph for the next day to get you going. Yeah. Which I think is really, really smart. He knew a little bit about writing. Yeah. Just a little bit. Yeah. So uh, these characters, you, you say you have, you know, 20 some in your head, are any yeah. of them based on people you know? Not really, you know, it, it's a, really not, hmm. which I've been, you know, um, heartened by and a little unnerved by, but because <laughs> <laughs> how many more are up there <laughs> waiting to pop out? You know, I mean, I can only, you know, order so much red wine, um, <laughs> but really, no, these, I don't, Honestly, writing this novel, I mean, it started uh, almost seven years ago, May 2015. I was, my wife and I were having Sunday breakfast 
listening to the Beatles, eating everything bagels with a schmear. Mm. And I don't know if anyone out there doesn't know what that means. That means it's a bagel with a lot of cream cheese. Mm -hmm. And it popped into my head, what about a dystopian novel with America led by someone named Grandma and baseball begins its final season ever? I thought, oh, wow, it's kind of a cool idea. And there we were. And it's from there, it just flowed. And then, of course, you need a story. Mm -hmm. And it's always interesting. I mean, when I, when I, when I first started writing it, I thought, okay, old baseball players are coming back, but which ones? And at first I had Reggie Jackson hmm. and he was boring. No, I'm sure Reggie Jackson is a very interesting person, um, but he was boring. I thought, well, I need baseball players who come to this society and are going to be jolted. Hmm. For example, Mickey Mantle, like women, I'll tell you a quick story of my first wife, um, was a big fan of Billy Martin. Remember Billy Martin, the the Yankee manager. Anyway, we oh, got invited. Yeah. We got invited to a, a, a press conference, and Mickey Mantle was there. I was the announcing, uh, introducing the Yankee announcers for the 1985-86 season. Wow! And Mickey Mantle just looked at my wife up and down, <laughs> just you know, head to toe, head to toe, and she grumbled, "That's terrible." I said, "What's well, the Mick? <laughs> That's what the Mick, you know." chill a little bit. He didn't grab, you know, squeeze your bottom. Okay, but that's the Mick. Uh -huh. And so Mickey Mantle coming to a, a 20, almost 22nd century world, and he can't look at women like that. Yeah. Or Ty Cobb, um, not the most enlightened person when it came to race mm -hmm. or religion. And so in this world, this is America in, you know, the 22nd century. The, the, many, most people are diverse. In fact, almost all my main characters are diverse. It, as I write it, it doesn't matter. As, as I said, it, it whatever color back there, it doesn't really matter to me. Mm -hmm. But Ty Cobb, you know, looks around and says, where, where are all the white people? Wow. And then he's on the subway and he sees, you know, a, a couple, couple women holding hands and he's like horrified. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, so I needed, I needed that. But also because so central to the story is baseball going back to its roots. Hmm. And Cobb and Manta represented that America, that baseball America, yeah. who will try to bring it back, you know, so we don't have seven inning double headers and, you know, all this insanity that, um, you know, runners on second base and people actually steal a base or learn to steal a base, hit and run. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, so you have, let's see, you have uh, Mound Over Hell, the first one. A Fastball for Freedom is the second one. What's the third one called? Well, I'm finishing it now. It, oh, okay. it'll, it'll be called A, a Dugout to Peace. Okay, okay. So, yeah, I was going to say, I only saw two on, on Amazon, so that makes sense. So you have that third one in the works. Yes. Okay. Yes. And do you have on a... the end of the month. Uh, so the end of the month it should be out? No, 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 I should oh. be finished. Then oh, it'll okay. take a couple years. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay. But the, these two... You know, if you start with the Mound Over Hell and go to Fastball for Freedom, that'll keep you busy. They're, they're each like about 500 pages. Oh, I nice. write long books. You get your money's worth. Yeah. <laughs> no, you know, none of these disposable 200-page novels. Uh-uh. <laughs> You're giving uh, Stephen King a run for his money, huh? <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, yeah. And say a novel's 500 pages published, it's that's like 700 manuscript pages. Oh, yeah. 
yes plus all the, all the folders for the um deleted scenes oh yeah because so i take out a scene but i don't throw it away because you never know and sometimes i would say oh thank god i said <laughs> i saved that there was something to be salvaged there were parts in it that i needed so you think you'll keep going with the series until it until it's done or any yes number? well yeah once i finish book three that's it that's it okay then i just you know i'm going to focus on my plays for a while one of my plays um uh, tomato can't grow in the bronx just opened in freehold new jersey i have um another play a black and white cookie opening the tank theater in manhattan hmm. in july so yeah so you're a busy guy you stay busy <laughs> yes i try to i try to yeah that's you know good. you just want to touch people one scene one line at a time that's yeah. really what it's all about i'm a storyteller and at the end of the day what i do is no different that's been done you know for thousands of years you sit around a campfire and you tell stories yeah all right well hey i appreciate you being on the show this was interesting stuff i learned so much more about you know when you first get that baseball slash post-apocalyptic dystopia thing a lot of people might be scratching their heads i think that now this makes sense what you've described you know it makes sense and it sounds really intriguing uh so thank I, you yeah so i want to thank you for being on the show um again check it out it's all, the first two books are on amazon you can check those out i will have links to all that in the show notes for today if anyone wants to go check that out and like you said the third one is in the works coming soon uh last part of the trilogy so again gary thank you so much for being on the show and uh, we thank hope to you, have Sean. you on uh, maybe after that third book. Yes, I'd love to. Thank you again. And thank you, everyone, for listening. All right. Thanks again. Take care. Bye-bye.